You're listening to the Sermon Podcast for the Peak Church, located in Apex, North Carolina. Our church is striving to welcome all who are feeling disconnected from God. And so our hope is that over the next several minutes, you will connect with the God that we are talking about, and you'll resonate deeply with the life that this God wants for you. We hope you enjoy. All right, friends. Well, good morning again to you, and welcome back for what is our last week, the final week of our fall sermon series that we've been in ever since the beginning of September, a sermon series called Ordo. Ordo, as you can see via the subtitle, over the last several weeks, what we've been doing is we've been actually mapping out and uh, investigating what are the nine major stages, the nine major phases or levels or seasons to the spiritual life. We actually spent a great deal of time on this over the summer and investing a lot of resources to sort of help building this out. We actually built out a website. So if you actually go to ordofaith.com, ordofaith.com, it's a site that we built that has a lot of resources to sort of teach us what these stages are, uh, where they occur in the Bible, what are some characters in Scripture that went through these various stages, what are some things I can sort of incorporate into my spiritual life if I'm in stage four or versus stage six or something like that. Uh, And then probably most importantly, we also created a tool, uh, an assessment tool to go with it. So the assessment is 70 questions. You fill it out. You answer sort of as truthfully as you can. And then it sort of spits out and says, well, based off of what you shared with us, you're most likely in stage five or stage six. And as a result of that, we encourage you to incorporate these into your spiritual diet. Make more of a commitment to these two, three, four, five things, right? And so for those of you who, for whom you're brand new here to our church today, you just started visiting with us, uh, I want to encourage you that, uh, to check out this website, to check out a lot of the resources we put onto it. And those of you who've been listening to these sermons for the last several weeks, uh, if you've not done so already, share them. Share it. Uh, one of the things I've been sort of really adamant about doing is sharing this with a lot of my friends who I've grown up in faith with and saying, hey, does this check out with your spiritual life? Does this check out with what your journey has been like? And for many, this has been a really helpful tool to help not only locate where people are in faith, but also give some direction so that our faith actually goes somewhere. The whole reason why we built this thing, the whole reason why we built this thing is because, at least for me, one of the things I've observed as a pastor is sometimes you can be a Christian, you can be a follower of Jesus, you could be in faith for years and actually have very little growth to show for it. You can find yourself 10, 15 years into this thing still doing the same things. You feel like you just know the same amount of stuff about God and about the Christian life. And as a result of that, it gets stale. It gets stagnant. And what do we do with things that become stale and stagnant? We stop doing them, Right? And so one of the things that we are passionate about here at this church is helping you not only discover faith, but deepen faith, okay? So if you haven't shared this, please share it with friends, share it with social media. Someone asked me like a couple weeks ago, they're like, am I allowed to like share this with my sister? And I was like, yes, absolutely, please email it, put it on social, do whatever you want to do. Please share it, please share it. Uh, if you are new here today, uh, today, again, you're kind of catching us at the very end of this conversation, the very end of this conversation, because today we're moving into the final stage, stage nine. And if you're, if this sounds interesting to you, if you're like, oh, this is kind of cool, you can actually go back and you can find a sermon on all of these stages, okay? All of them are on YouTube, all of them are on the podcast. You can find them there and you can go, okay, I think this is actually where I am, so I need to listen to this one, right? But today, we're moving into the final one. We're moving into this uh, final stage on this spiritual ascent, if you will, that we've been talking about for the last several weeks. And just to be super clear about something, In no way, shape, or form are we saying that the moment you reach stage nine, 
that your spiritual life is over, right? You don't reach stage nine and there's like a wing ceremony, you start levitating. Like none of that stuff happens. I'm really sorry to break it to you. Like if you're looking forward to that, that's not what goes down. In fact, I'm actually one of those people, I believe strongly that our spiritual life, our relationship with God will continue to deepen even beyond death. Because friends, at the end of the day, we worship an infinite God, an infinitely majestic God. And so even in the life to come, we're going to be continuing to learn new things. We're going to be tapping into new depths as to who this God is and what this God is like. But today's conversation, and what this whole tool has been, is, okay, but what's possible in this life? Like, what's reachable in this life? And depending on what church you go to, depending on what denomination or Christian tradition you're hanging out in, they'll give different answers to that question. They'll give different answers as to what type of sort of sacredness or holiness is actually reachable, actually possible in this life. But today you're going to hear ours. Okay? Today you're going to hear ours, our definition, our expectation, as so the peak hails from the Methodist, the Wesleyan tradition. You're going to hear our interpretation as to what we believe is possible in this spiritual life on this side of heaven. Okay? And so how we're going to do that is by digging into scripture, digging into what our church has taught for thousands and thousands of years about what the spiritual life is like. And so going and speaking of which, let's return back to our passage for today. So if you have your Bibles with you or if you're watching this online, you want to follow along with the particular scripture that we're going to be digging into and studying today, turn back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. If you're new to studying the Bible, you're still kind of getting your bearings around which book is what and what's happening. 1 Thessalonians is a lot like a lot of the books in the New Testament. It's a letter written by Paul to one of the churches that he helped start in Thessalonica. It's written roughly 30, 40 years after Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. So it's at the early stages of the church. The church is just getting launched. It's just getting going. And so Paul's writing these letters very regularly. He didn't, like, you know, he didn't have YouTube. He didn't have podcasts. And so he would write letters, and they would be sort of like de facto sermons, spiritual lessons, spiritual teachings on what it means and what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. And so he writes this letter to the Thessalonians, and by the time he gets to uh, chapter 5, By the time he gets to chapter 5, he answers this question of what's actually possible, what's reachable, what's the expectation, what's the goal, the end goal that we're actually supposed to be aiming for. This is what he says. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23, he says that if you and I commit to this way of life long enough, we commit to following Jesus, the teachings of Jesus long enough, eventually the God of peace himself will cause you and I to be completely dedicated to him. So much so that your spirit, your soul, your body will be kept intact and blameless at our Lord Jesus Christ's coming. In a word, uh, this is why we've sort of dubbed this stage the stage of consecration. Consecration. Stage nine of faith for us is the stage you've reached where you are ready, you are prepared to have a life consecrated. What does consecrated mean? Set apart, commissioned to be all for God and the causes of God. And friends, you see this not just in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. This is all over Scripture, all over Scripture. Psalm 19, verse 13. 
and save your servant from willful sins. Don't let them rule me anymore, because then I'll be completely blameless. We also see it in another one of Paul's letters, Philippians chapter 2. He's talking to this church. He says, do everything without grumbling and arguing so that one day you may be blameless and pure. What does Jesus say? You and I are called to be perfect as our heavenly Father is perfect. Leviticus chapter 19, verse 8, we are to be holy as your heavenly Father is holy. So, friends, what I'm trying to get you to see is that there's a very, very strong scriptural argument that the people that we sort of hail from, our spiritual ancestors believed it was not only the goal, but they believed it was possible to reach a place where you are completely dedicated to this faith that you've been dancing with your whole life. And so I'm going to put it even more on the ground, because right now I've been using a lot of Christianese. I've been using a lot of, like, you know, consecration and holy and blameless. Like, it's a lot of church language, right? What does it mean in our, like, everyday life? And here's how we interpret that. Here's how we uh, interpret it. How we interpret those passages is that, friends, it's actually possible to reach a place in your spiritual life, to reach a space in your faith where while it's always going to be possible to do selfish things and sinful things, we believe it's possible. What those scripture passages mean is that it's possible to reach a place where while it's possible for you to do selfish things, you don't want to do them anymore. You're not interested in them anymore. I'm a visual person. I'm a visual person, so this is, a light, this is the way my journey has gone, right? So uh, when I first came to faith, when I first came to faith, uh, I was indifferent to my selfishness, okay? Had no idea until people started telling me and started calling me on it, saying, hey, when you do these things and when you say these things, you're kind of like a jack wagon and we don't like you very much. So I was indifferent to sin when I started. But then slowly but surely, I started moving, I started evolving to where, like, this next stage is like, okay, I know doing these things is mean and people don't like it very much, but I can't help it. Like, I like this old life. I like this old me, right? And then eventually, I don't like it. And then eventually, I'm despairing against it. I'm like, oh, like, I don't want to be this kind of person anymore. I'm tired of being dishonest and jealous and all these things that are holding me back, not only from the person that God wants me to be, like, bump that, like, just the person, I don't want to be that kind of person anymore. And so eventually, you reach a place where you're now actively resisting it. Okay, I don't want to... I don't want to live into those habits anymore. I don't want to live into that behavior anymore. So much so that eventually you reach a place where you're, you, you don't do it as often. You're actually, by the grace of God, by God's help, you are not only stopping doing those things, but you're only occasionally relapsing into those things. And the hope, again, what we believe these scriptures are saying is that eventually, eventually, one of the high, highest marks of faith is that I reach a place where when I'm presented with opportunities to do selfish stuff, hurtful stuff, I'm completely disinterested by it. The life that I used to live addicted to, just don't really care about it anymore. Because I've reached a place where now I'm consecrated to God. We reach a place where we are completely all in dedicated to this kingdom movement that Jesus has begun. And again, you see examples of this. You see examples of this in John the Baptist willing to lay down his life 
for the sake of the kingdom movement that he was supposed to prepare the way for. We see this in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who are willing to go to the fiery furnace and not renounce their beliefs. We see this in Mary. Mary is approached with the craziest idea ever known to humanity. And she says, yeah, thy will be done. Completely dedicated, without hesitation, without reluctance, and without bitterness. And that leads to number one. So, uh, again, if you're new here uh, today, if this is your first time with us, what we've been doing is we've been unpacking each of these stages, and simultaneously we've been pointing out, so what are some, like, key markers? What are some key indicators? What are some key, like, symptoms that you're either in that stage or you are ready for that stage, right? So let's go back to our passage for today. What does Paul say? In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, in verses 16 through 18, he says this. He says, one indicator, one sort of sign, if you will, symptom, if you will, is that you've reached a place where you are rejoicing always. You're praying continually. You're giving thanks in every situation because this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So symptom number one, sign number one, like spiritual, uh, this is like your, your diet, sort of like this is what you are doing and spending a lot of your time doing when you reach this stage, this level of depth and faith. The first indicator of that is what we might call joyful obedience. Joyful obedience. You've reached a place in your faith where now obedience to God, submission to what God's calling you to do, is not met with, gosh, I really don't want to, or, ugh, like, I don't really know if I want to be about this life, but it's joyful, it's willingness, it's eagerness to participate in what God's calling you to do. For those of you who are new here to our church, about once, once a month, the first Sunday of every month, we take communion at this table, and we're going to do a little quiz, see how many of you are liturgical nerds, okay? What is the prayer we pray in, like, the first quarter of the liturgy? Free us for... Hint, it's on the screen. I gave you the answer. Joyful <laughs> obedience. Oh, my gosh, you're so smart. You've been paying attention, such close attention. But we pray this every time we take communion. Every time we take communion, we say, God, free us for joyful obedience. And the difference between someone who is early in faith and later in faith is when you're later in faith, when you pray that prayer, you mean it. You mean it. It's because inside of you, there's an, an evolution that has occurred. Where now, when God calls you to be somebody and to do something, you've evolved. You've evolved from a faith of should, so it looks like this, at least in my life, a faith of shoulding to a faith of wanting to a faith of enjoying. I don't know what your faith uh, journey has been like, but this has been mine. When I first came to faith, I did Christian-y things because I should do them. I should forgive that person, so I guess I will. Uh, I should serve people other than myself, okay, I guess I will. To eventually wanting that type of life, wanting to be that type of person. And if you commit to that way of life long enough, then something happens and you wake up and you're like, holy cow, I genuinely enjoy being this person more than the person I was before. I enjoy living this way way more than how I used to when I was insecure and jealous and I compared myself to other people. Oh my gosh, like I love this existence so much more than that one. 
Now, some of you are tracking with me. Some of you are like, I don't, I'm, I'm, I'm not at that stage yet, so like, I need like a, another sort of analogy. Think of it this way. This is much like most of our journeys with coffee, okay? Like most of our journeys with coffee. Hear me out. Hear me out. When I first came to college, I hated coffee. It smelled bad, tasted bad. It was the elixir of the dark world. And so I wanted no part of it. I wanted zero part of it. But I had to desperately find a way to stay awake from my 7 a.m. classes. So I said, I should, stage one, I should drink some coffee. I should give it a try. I should sort of make a habit and let's see if it actually does what other people say it does. Then I moved to wanting to enjoy coffee. This was primarily, uh, this is less so because of class. This is uh, primarily because most of the girls hung out at the local coffee shop. And so I was like, well, if I want to not spend my life single for the rest of my life, then I got to like sort of, I got to, you know, pretend I like it. So we're, I'm gonna, I want it now. I want to like it, this coffee. And so eventually then I came to a point where now I genuinely enjoy coffee. Now, did I have to dump a gallon of creamer and chemicals into said coffee to enjoy it? You're darn right I did. But then you enjoy it, right? Looks like this. Some of you have seen this uh, chart before. You seen this chart before? Raise your hand. You seen this chart before? Okay. So I'm a B2 kind of guy. I'm a B2 kind of guy. I like to say, I like my, what is the, so I do it backwards. I like my coffee with my creamer. Or no, I like my creamer with a dash of coffee. Anybody a C6 situation? Anybody got a C6 situation? If you're close to a C6, we're going to lay on hands uh, just in a moment. We're going to pray for their spirituality. Why do you guys like being miserable? Why? Can we, have a, can we talk about this? Have you not tasted the blessed sacrament of hazelnut? Have we? <laughs> have you not received the good gift from above in French vanilla? Have these, these things have not moved into your... You get my point. You get my point. Friends, at some point, at some point, your and my spiritual life should be something that you enjoy. At some point, your and my spiritual life should be something that is actually, dare I say, fun. If not, we're doing it wrong. We're doing it really wrong. There's no extra Jesus points for showing up and showing us how miserable you are. <laughs> One of my favorite authors, John Acuff, he wrote this uh, book called Finish, and he did a bunch of research into uh, who, what, what things were present in people who finished their goals versus people who didn't finish their goals. And he found a bunch of findings. He did a ton of research. And you want to know one of the key findings he had of those who completed their goals that they set out to reach and those who didn't? This group made them fun. This is his phrase. Make it fun if you want it done. Make it fun if you want it done. Not a single person who set out to lose weight did so with like, hey, like, what, how are you going to do that? Well, I'm going to run. Oh, do, do you like to run? Hate it, actually. Yeah. Feels like hell. Uh, I feel like I'm bleeding in my lungs when it happens. And so, like, you know, some people say it's fun. I, I, I think that that's um, torture. Yeah, right. 
if you want it done, you got to make it fun. And it's sad to me that this might be the very first time you've ever heard in a sermon in a church permission from a pastor to make sure your freaking faith is fun and enjoyable. Find ways to, like, if, you, if there's an activity you like to do by yourself, maybe you like, I don't know, wood carving, or maybe you like to run, or maybe you like to, maybe there's things that you like to do. Here's an easy way to do that. Do something you like to do and talk to God while you do it. Start there. Here's another question. When was the last time you ever laughed in the midst of a prayer? I'm serious about this. If you don't make it fun, sometimes I worry that at one point or another, you'll be so miserable in it that you'll do what we do with everything else that makes us miserable. You'll pitch it. So that's number one. The first thing that you see in our scripture passage uh, of an indicator that you have reached the, this level of depth is joyful obedience. Let's go back to our passage again. Verses 12 through 15, uh, Paul continues. Paul continues. Uh, now, here in this passage, this is a big passage. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but the things I want you to pay close attention to is the other indicator uh, of stage nine, this, 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 this spiritual diet. This, you're now ready for this level and depth of faith. Another thing I want you to pay very close attention to is here in this passage, he says, how important he says it is to not only be a really good receiver of your faith, a good receiver of wisdom and guidance and direction, but to also be someone who passes that ish on, right? To be someone who actually takes what you're learning from God, takes what God is doing in your life, and passing it on, paying it forward to the people who you have influence with. And so, friends, this is a really key indicator that you've reached the stage nine type of faith is that you are now no longer only thinking about your own spiritual health and life, but you're thinking about your heritage. You're thinking about what sort of legacy you're going to leave behind. You start thinking about, okay, what sort of like, what, what heritage, what inheritance in my faith am I passing on to my kids, my students, the kids that I coach? Uh, maybe it's my siblings, maybe it's friends, maybe it's coworkers, whoever it is you have influence with. When you reach the stage of faith, you begin to say, okay, I am not just going to be someone who is building a faith for myself, but building something worthwhile to pass on to the people who will live beyond me. To put it bluntly, people who have reached this stage, they're hell-bent on making sure that all the things that they've been learning from Jesus this whole time don't die with them. There's an ancient African proverb that says that whenever a village elderman or elder woman dies, it's like a whole library was burned to the ground. All that wisdom gone. All those incredible stories, gone. Don't let the same thing happen to your story. Because all the things that God has taught you, all things that God's done in your life, it wasn't just for you. And some of you need that encouragement. Some of you need some encouragement in this particular realm because you're starving for it. Maybe, and I, I believe strongly. I believe strongly there's people listening to this online or here in person who are like, man, you need to hear what I'm about to say. You need to hear this word of encouragement. You need to hear that, friends, most of us, most of us 
will not go on to do something great by worldly standards. Some of you are like, um, I thought you said this was encouraging. Um, when, does that, when does that come in? Um, most of us in this room will not go on to do something incredibly great by worldly standards. But that doesn't mean you can not still contribute to something great in the world. Humor me for a moment. Humor me for a moment. Check out this list. Go ahead and put it up there, Ken. Do you recognize any of the names of the people on this screen? Now, if you're a history buff, I need you just to play along and go, I don't, I don't recognize anybody. <laughs> just play along for a moment. Do you recognize any names on this screen? How about this list? All the people on the first list were the teachers, the parents, the siblings, and the mentors of the people on that list. You and I may not go on to do something great by worldly standards, but if you allow it, you can contribute to something great God does in the world. By the way, uh, for a little uh, quick tidbit for you, uh, that's also why the genealogies were included in the Bible. You guys read the genealogies before? Raise your hand. Raise your hand, read the genealogies. Liars, all of you. No one reads the genealogies. You're lying. You came to those passage and you were like, oh, sweet Lord. So-and-so is the son of so-and-so, and so-and-so is the son of so-and-so. You came to that passage, and what would you do? You went, whoop, back to the action, right? We skip over these every single time we come into contact with them. Why? Because it just looks like a long laundry list of names we don't recognize. But I got a hunch. I got a hunch. The authors who made sure to include those particular parts of the stories in the final edition of the Bible, my hunch is they made sure to include those because somebody at some time is going to be reaching the end of their life. And most of us, we're not going to reach stage nine until we get to the end of our lives. And we're going to realize this fundamental fact, that I don't get to choose my role in God's story. That's God's decision. I don't get to choose God's role. I don't get to choose the role I get to play. But you do get to choose whether or not you're going to be a part of the story in the first place. Okay? I think the authors knew they needed to include that because some of us, we're not going to reach stage nine until the end of our lives, and so some of us are going to be tempted to look back on our lives and go, gosh, like I, don't, I didn't do anything awesome. I didn't do anything great. I didn't change the world. And those passages are Jesus' gentle whisper into our ears. Maybe not, but you played a role that no one else could play. And I'm going to show you in the life to come what impact it made. Number two, another thing that people do in this stage of faith is they are really focused on making sure their faith outlives them. They create 
the spiritual heritage. And the final one is this. I'll close here. Ben, you can go ahead and come on up. Ben's going to come up, and we're going to land the plane here on this third and final uh, symptom, this third and final indicator, this third and final sort of uh, key sort of marker that you are ready for this type of faith or you have reached this type of faith. We go back to our scripture. Paul also says this. So in verses 19 through 21, he says this. He says, as you reach the end of your life, as you reach the end of your journey, please, please, please hear this warning. Please, please, please hear this disclaimer. Please don't suppress the spirit. Don't brush off spirit-inspired messages, but examine everything carefully and hang on to what is good. Now, as you're reading this, you're like, well, that doesn't, why would I do that? Like, why would I actively suppress the Spirit? Why would I shrug off or brush off something that God is trying to say to me? And I don't know what your answer to that is, but I know how I do that. And I know when and why I do that. Most often, when I'm guilty of that, it's because I've, I'm, I'm going through something that day, going through something that week that has led me to assume God doesn't have anything new to say. You've been there before? You're like, oh, maybe I should pray about this job, this decision, or whether we should move, or whether we should like, have another kid. Maybe I should pray about it. And then this little voice creeps in and says, oh, don't do that. You already know what God's going to say. God doesn't have, or God's not going to have anything enlightening to say. God's not going to have anything helpful to say. You did this before. You've prayed before. Crickets. So like, don't even, just brush it off. Like, don't even listen for what God's trying to say to you. In a word, friends, one of the most dangerous things you can allow to creep into your faith is the trap of certainty. Certainty. I'm certain. No, I, I got it all figured out. I got this whole thing figured out. I, and, and God, I've, I've already done this with God before. So I already know what God's going to do, what God's going to say. So like, I'm just certain. I know this is not going to pan out, not going to be helpful. People who reach this stage of life, they actively resist that. They follow Paul's guidance because they know that one of the final things that we are called to be at the end of our spiritual lives on this side of heaven and bleeds over into the life to come is holy curiosity. I hate to break it to you, but if you were sitting there like, yeah, like hopefully I'll reach a place where at the end of my life, I'm just like certain about everything. Sorry, uh, no, um, you actually end up more curious, more questions, wanting and hungry and thirsty for more of this infinite God. And to believe anything to the contrary, good Lord, it's like not only dangerous, it's foolish. To believe that God is just this subject I could master is foolish, it's naive. It's naive to every bit of our entire existence in the natural world. Check this out. Check this out. So um, a couple of months ago, a couple of months ago, uh, you saw images from this. You saw images from the Hubble telescope, right? You saw these come up from NASA. And you saw uh, in these images uh, the reminder of how much is still out there that we don't know. 
Anybody want to take a guess of how much of the universe NASA astronomers think they have seen? Four. Four percent. Every time we see images like this, we're reminded, oh my gosh, there's so much more than that which we thought we knew. In fact, for the longest time, the furthest known galaxy we thought existed uh, was called GNZ-11. It's a really weird name uh, for a galaxy. Um, I would have named it something a lot more vain, like Kyle's Galaxy or something like that, but, you know, whatever. And what's interesting is when they interviewed the person who discovered this galaxy, he knew next to nothing about it. I don't know. All I know is it's there, and it's big, and it's 32 billion light years away. That's all we got. And if you're sitting there thinking, well, surely we know more about this natural world, like on this planet, <laughs> doesn't get much better. So uh, when you actually dig into the science of our discovery and our study of the oceans, do you want to know how much of the Earth's oceans we've investigated and discovered? Five percent. Five percent. The deepest seabed on the entire Earth is actually found here. It's found in Mariana Trench. It's right outside of Asia, so that's Australia down below. And the deepest, deepest part of the Mariana Trench is called Challenger's Deep. Here's a picture they took last time they were down there. Can't see anything because it's pitch black down there so far down you can't see anything in fact fun fact about Challenger's Deep it is deeper than the than Mount Everest is tall so you look at this sperm whale can go down a thousand meters Titanic rests at about 4,000 meters 10,000 meters is Mount Everest and further deeper still is the depth of the Earth's ocean. This one was funny because interviewers did have a chance to ask this guy uh, who discovered this. They said, you know, that's amazing. Like, what do we know? What do we know about Challenger's Deep? What do we know about the deepest part of the, uh, the Earth's oceans? Tell us about what creatures you found and what cool, like, animals and fish you saw down there. Like, what did you find? He's like, well, actually, we couldn't spend a lot of time down there because the pressure is so much, so we had to do, like, a quick visit and then shoot back up. And so they're like, okay, well, that's fine, but did you find anything? Did you find anything? Did you discover anything? And he was like, uh, yeah, we found sea worms. Like, what else? Uh, that, that's all we know. Why am I showing you these things? Because I want you to remember the next time you're out living your daily life and you feel certain about anything, I want you to remember these images. And I especially want you to remember these images the next time you feel really certain that you've got this God thing figured out, that you've got this spirituality thing locked down. That I don't need to talk to God or ask for people's advice or seek God's guidance because, like, I already know and I already, you make all these assumptions. The next time you're tempted to do that, I want you to remember these. Because if this is true 
of the natural world? My heavens. Are we in for a rude awakening when it comes to the supernatural realm? Whenever I see these images, it makes me, it leads me to believe that maybe, just maybe, we've had the wrong uh, analogy all along. This whole sermon series, we've been talking about a mountain, that maybe the spirituality is an ascent to a peak, to, uh, to a higher realm in relationship with God. But maybe it's the exact opposite. Maybe a more accurate analogy of our relationship with God is instead of seeing God as this subject I'm trying to master, maybe just maybe God is an ocean of infinite depth. And maybe just maybe every single time you and I are tempted to think, oh, no, like Jesus came up, like I tried to trust in God, I tried to trust in Jesus, tried to do the whole faith thing, and God came up short on me. God came up and couldn't deliver. Maybe, just maybe, it wasn't God who came up short. Maybe it was us who stopped short. Maybe we reached one of these intermediary sort of levels and we were like, okay, well, I think I got a good uh, sort of understanding of what the spiritual life is like and I got this all figured out and I know what's going on only to realize there was way more than you could ever ask or imagine. And so maybe, just maybe, the people who actually reach consecration, the people who reach the truest, richest, deepest faith we've ever known, maybe they're not the holiest. Maybe they're just the ones with enough guts to follow that call. As scripture says, the call comes from deep to deep. Maybe the people who reach the deepest parts of their relationship with God are just the ones who are brave enough for a second to go a little further in. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Thank you for listening to the Peak Podcast. Make sure you subscribe wherever podcasts can be found. For more information on how to get connected with our church, please visit us at thepeakchurch.org.